work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. I am Jim Anger in the host chair with my good friend, the very right Reverend Eric Mitchell, who preached this past Sunday. Eric, how are you? What's up, Dr. Anger? Doing well, my friend. Good to be back in the uh, in the studio. There we go. So Eric and I are both listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcasts. I think I just finished, right before I came over here, that the final episode. Oh, nice. And... Eric, I think we should take a page. My plan is for this to be a three-hour podcast, so I, I hope you have a drink and have gone to the bathroom because it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while from here. We are one take three hours. Are you ready? Yeah, every, every one of these is now going to be two and a half hours long at least. I love it. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows that they shouldn't go long either in podcasting or preaching, but then also everybody believes that they're the exception to the rule. Absolutely. <laughs> like this applies to everybody else except me, which – probably has a Mars Hill application or two there as well, but that is a different podcast. So at Liberty Collingswood this past Sunday, we were in our Advent sermon series from the nativity story of Jesus of Nazareth from the opening chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, and Eric preached a great sermon from the second part of Matthew chapter 1. So Eric, as we call it Stormy Monday a little bit here, even though we're recording on a Tuesday, what was going on in the background? Take us backstage. Yeah, man. Um, Yeah, as I was like starting to think um, and and research and read about this passage, I think one of the things that struck me, and I actually didn't talk about this a whole lot in in the sermon. That's why we're Um, here. Yeah, was was thinking about Joseph and Mary's own like loneliness and isolation. I, I hinted at yeah. it a little bit at one point with um, when it, when I mentioned that. Uh, hey, can, can think about the courage it took, like for Joseph, right? Um, you know, to accept this, to to obey, to make this choice. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for this this teenage girl that he was engaged to, who was pregnant. Um, but but yeah, I, I imagine that there was some loneliness and isolation in their life, um, some cut, cut off from relationship and that kind of thing. And that, mm-hmm. that really struck me. And again, I, I ended up not going there, but that was actually sort of what got me started thinking about, um, yeah, the, the, the idea of, of loneliness and isolation. Mm-hmm. That was kind of where I lingered for the week or so that I was working on this sermon. Um, and sort of became the, 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 the thing that I really was burdened, um, to talk about and to communicate was that, Hey, we feel this way. Um, we've experienced these feelings like mm-hmm. but God hasn't abandoned us. Um, it was really like my big, my big takeaway, but yeah, I kind of started with just meditating and thinking a little bit about Joseph and Mary in a very practical, like or yeah. not practical sense, but in very like trying to see them as real human beings and what that would have felt like, um, and kind of going from there. So that, that was kind of the impetus and, and where I was kind of headed. Yeah, I like that. They're not just flannel graphs or action figures <laughs> in a nativity set, but they're, but but they're they're actually real people. Yeah, I like that, Eric. And we're my my plan is to double click on that a little bit more in the muddying the water Uh-oh. section Uh-oh. that's that that's coming up. But 
it sounds very Adventy what you were just describing. Yeah. And so with with the sermon for this past Sunday, I think it was the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, who apparently, as he would step, he was in one of those turret pulpits right, right. in in London. And what I forget exactly what he apparently every step that he took up into the pulpit, he would say. Something like, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So mm. as as you were scaling the 30-foot yeah. turret here at Holy Trinity, what, what were you excited or burdened uh, that you would be hoping that God would do in the hearers as you came to deliver this message? Yeah, I don't have a, uh, a liturgy as I ascend the... There's not like <laughs> four stairs, maybe, something <laughs> like that. I've never thought about that. Maybe we should come up with one. Um, John, yeah. John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. We've been listening and watching the Peter Jackson Beatles extravaganza. Go on, Eric. Yeah. Peter Jackson, not concise. <laughs> also, <laughs> the exception to the rule in his own mind. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, again, that, that, that idea of, like, God has not abandoned you. He meets us in our loneliness and isolation was really the, was really the main thing that I wanted to get across. And I, and I think, um, yeah, and, and not that I had this thought consciously as I was literally walking up the stairs, but I, I did really want people to feel and to know and to walk out of the room with a thought in their head that like, Hey, I'm not alone Yeah, with these feelings that I have experienced in the last 21 months, or maybe I'm still experiencing, like I'm not the only one. I'm right, not alone. Right. Um, there, there are other men and women in this congregation that feel likewise, but also I'm not alone in the divine sense, like that right. God uh, is there as well, Emmanuel, God with us. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of really the main thing I wanted to get across. I, I, I did want to keep the message. I know there were some technical aspects to the message, which we'll get into, I guess, but I, I felt like in some ways it was maybe one of my more simple sermons. Like, I feel like yeah. there wasn't a whole, there, there were three points, of course, because I grew up Baptist, there has right. to be, but, yeah. Spurgeon. Um, but, but, it, but, it, but it, hopefully it felt like there was kind of just one point um, and it was like kind of simple and it was just kind of being reinforced from different angles. Like yeah. I, I sort of felt that as I was preparing this message that I just wanted there to be kind of one, one thing. Um, right. And, and for that to be the message um, and for it to be kind of kind of simple, um, but hopefully profound, hopefully um, striking, hopefully encouraging. So, yeah, encouragement was a word that was going through my mind a lot last week as well, wanting people to feel encouraged. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, those were kind of the, the primary thoughts. I felt it. I felt it for sure. And a little bit of a window into the sermon coming this next Sunday, I think with and Eric, your, your sermon was, in a really good way, simple and crisp, even with the virgin birth stuff yeah. uh, at the end that we're going to yeah. talk about yeah, yeah. in a minute. For this coming Sunday, as I preach from the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, the, the visit of the Magi, uh, right. don't tell anybody this, but I'm not going to preach in three points or two points or four points. Uh, I'm just going to start talking. Um, we'll see if that's a good idea or not. But my... It sounds like a Jim Anger I used to know. <laughs> I, I, I'm the exception to the rule. I, I, I don't need to preach at three points. The, the working assumption, we'll see if it holds, is that I, I think a story like this, visit of the Magi, and also the angel appearing to Mary and Joseph are, are well-known enough stories that, yeah. and also compelling enough stories, dramatic enough stories, profound enough stories, that we can let the power of the story do more work than usual mm. in the structuring and writing of the sermon process. Um, yeah, and so that makes sense. 
Which in some ways is the, a challenge of preaching those sermons too, because yeah. they are such familiar stories. They are. They are. Yeah, I I have a love-hate relationship with preaching on common passages. It's fun to go back to them, but then also, yeah, here we are again. I literally <laughs> thought about that as I was preparing this sermon. I thought, I hope I don't get this text again for a while, because <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say differently. Well, there there aren't that many Birth of Jesus <laughs> narrative stories, so get, get two, used to it. As yeah. I mentioned. Yeah. Save, save your commentary notes. Let's go to Sun Studios. Eric personally is a late period Elvis fan, so Elvis in Vegas... <laughs> With the uh, vinyl suits and capes and sunglasses, that that's his favorite Elvis period. So I only look like that, but Eric loves the real Elvis in that sense. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Like you just said, this is a really familiar passage, Eric. What did you discover? What are some new nuggets that jumped out to you, or, or what did you come to in a fresh way, going back into a couple of commentaries with a passage that you've heard many times before. Yeah, I think um, really appreciated your sermon last week uh, on the genealogy. Mm -hmm. And so that was obviously fresh in my mind as I moved from some like introductory work on the passage to really starting to put the sermon together. And one of the things that jumped out to me quickly in some in some commentary reading was one uh, theologian, one scholar talking about the connection between verses 1 to 17 and then uh, and then the passage that I had. Interesting. And the fact that this is not, it's not like the genealogy was done and mm-hmm. then this is a like closed scene, something completely different and yeah. like not connected, but they're very intertwined and they're like this story and it being from Joseph's perspective is immediately following genealogy for a very specific reason, for a very specific pers- purpose to solve that yep. genealogical problem. Right. Which I thought was really intriguing. I had never heard that before. I never thought about that before. But again, re- even reflecting on your own sermon and on the genealogy and having that fresh on the mind, that made a mm-hmm. lot of sense. There was a, th- this um, particular commentator actually said that in the first in the first words there, yeah, where in the ESV it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, that that word birth you actually could translate as genealogy. Right. Um, and so you could even basically say this is almost like a story that expounds and explains and is like almost like a second genealogy hmm. um, to go along with the with the first and the first 17 verses. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't really get into that technical point. Um, yeah, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. But that again. is really interesting. Most, most I think, readers of Matthew, this includes me at a popular level, yeah, yeah. you just kind of skip over, you skim through at best the genealogy sure, and yeah. then get to the story at the end of the chapter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same, yeah, same is true. If you, yeah, you read through like Genesis, you know, and some of the other parts of the Bible. There's just yeah. like genealogical sections. Yeah. When your Bible reading plan gets there, you, you finish quicker. Than oh, yeah, it's like sweet. It's a light day. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and nobody knows how to pronounce any of those names out loud because you say them in your head one way. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you hope you never have to read it out loud. Um, That's true. Yeah, so that was so that was an interesting part of the passage. That was kind of a big thing that was on my mind, mm-hmm. um, the connection with the genealogy. Um, obviously, like one of the highlights of or themes of Matthew, I guess, one of the characteristics of the Gospel of Matthew is – in these first chapters, his Old Testament uh, allusions and Old mm-hmm. Testament quotes and these prophecies that he brings in. And this was the first one that was here in my passage. Right. Um, but then you're going to get in 
there, there's more. I mean, chapters, chapter two, especially, but even through chapter four, there's there's a, a slew of them mm-hmm. where um, it talks about, hey, this this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, and there's that right. Um, there's kind of that refrain. Um, yeah, and so so there was so there's a lot there. It was I, I love those Old Testament allusions and quotes are really really interesting. There's a lot of interesting yeah intertextuality. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you could like dig into there, um, like what like what what hermeneutic is the uh, new testament writer using here yes uh and all that kind of fun stuff new testament use of the old testament books written on that but um yeah obviously a little bit too much to get into obviously i mentioned um the isaiah passage because you can't not there yep um and even the allusion that i mentioned there as well to the psalms but um but yeah there's there's so much like regarding israel exile the intertestamental period where there is no canonical scripture Mm -hmm. written um, there's the messianic hope that during that period of of between the old and new testaments, like builds and builds and builds and builds, right? And Israel's situation, like under Rome, ultimately it's worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Um, and there's so much there, and it's so rich. And um, but again, like something that how how much like uh how much Old Testament slash New Testament history and and like hermeneutics can you get into? But there's some super interesting things there, I think, in the passage. And all of that colors the passage and how to, how to understand it, how to understand what Matthew is saying, like understanding the context in which he's also writing. Yeah. He, he himself uh, is, is in that time period and feeling those, those same things. So there's so much there, too, about the passages that I love that I, um, that's, that's just rich, rich and deep. Um, and I mentioned already the focus on Joseph, which, which I just think really, yeah. really stood out to me in this passage and was kind of where I ended up. Obviously, um, using the the fathers a uh, fathers as the as kind of the different points to the sermon that was kind of where I ultimately landed um, and, and didn't spend as much time in the in the Old Testament allusions and quotes even though there's there's a lot of fun stuff there so. yeah yeah and I was struck by using Joseph as a primary perspective point through which to to view this passage Mary gets a lot more play in church history uh, sure. up to the present day was was it a specific mention or sentence by a commentator that made that caught your eye with Joseph, or was it more just overall looking at the passage and saying, "Hey, there's a there's a lot of Joseph here, and we don't normally focus on him as much." I, I thought it was a fresh way of dealing with the passage. Yeah, I, um, that's a good question. I, I think I'm trying to think if there was a specific one. I know I did I did listen to um, a couple of sermons in preparation. One was a Keller sermon. He may have mentioned it, though I don't remember. Mm-hmm. The other one was a um, Jay Ligon Duncan sermon, uh. and he may have mentioned it. I don't remember, to be honest. Um, neither one of them structured their sermons around that. But yeah, yeah. I'm, but I think the, I'm changing the, my name to Jay Camelanger. There you go. It's my it's my new thing. With the uh, branding. The geological the genealogical problem I think was yeah that that com- combined with you know here you, the angel comes to Joseph. And tells them, you know, and Luke, the angel goes to Mary. Mm-hmm. I guess we would say like both happened. It's right. just a different perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, and and I mentioned too in the sermon that Luke, um, and 
the stories there are the ones that get read more often. They're the ones that a lot, you know, again, yeah. like the, the stable. The, Charlie the Brown sh- Christmas special. Yeah, the shepherds, you know, the the choir of angels, all that. Obviously, you'll get to the Magi. That's in Matthew. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you have the angel coming. You have Mary. You have her song. You have Elizabeth, her cousin, and all of that. John the Baptist, more prominent there in the first couple yeah, of chapters. It's a much larger cast of characters, even. Yeah, and so there's just so much more there. And then, so it's interesting that even though it's shorter, yeah, it comes um, – yeah, the angel comes to Joseph. It's a little more focused on him, what he did, on him accepting responsibility for this adopted boy. Uh, whereas in Mary, uh, or, or in Luke, Mary is the one that says, you know, like, hey, yeah, I accept this challenge. Like, you're yep. be done sort of a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of, I guess it was just all those things together. I just thought it was interesting. Um Especially because Joseph is sort of a unique character. Like, we don't know what happens to him. Like, he just yeah. kind of disappears. Probably older, right, than Mary um, substantially? Yeah I, w- yeah, I would assume so. I guess, yeah, we don't really know how much. But, yeah, most yep. likely at least a decent a decent chunk older. But, when, but you know, when Jesus gets to the cross, he's not old. Right. Mary wouldn't have been, you know, let's say Jesus is in his mid-30s. Mary may have only been 50. Yep. You know? Right. She was probably a, a young teenager. And so... Um, you know, you'd think Joseph would have still been around, but who knows what happened. So it's kind of a mis- mysterious character anyway. So it's kind of interesting that this is one of the few um, windows in to him that we get in, yeah. in the scriptures, really. Yeah. Where have you gone, Joseph DiMaggio? And <laughs> with with uh, with the Joseph perspective and focus here, Eric, that the problematizing aspect from Joseph's perspective of this whole thing is that the woman Mary to whom he was betrothed. Right became with child and so you talked about i think for the first time in the history of liberty collingswood the the virgin birth so yeah howland wolves we beg your patience as we do a little theology nerd corner here and people that are watching live on youtube will see what i'm doing right here for those of you that are listening i am passing a book to eric right now Uh uh-oh eric tell me what that book is well, it's it's uh it's black. Mm. It's it's uh it looks old. It smells a little old. It's uh it says, "The Virgin Birth of Christ" by one J. Grisham Machen. So, Eric, what that is is, and it is old. About twenty <laughs> about twenty years ago, I was at the Book Trader, on Second Street in oh, Old yeah. City in Philadelphia. I been over there in a while. Was was in their religious section, and uh, what Eric is holding right now is a first printing from 1930 yeah, it is. of a book by the founder of the seminary that I went to, Westminster Seminary, a guy named J. Gresham Machen, which is, uh, I think, to date, at least since the early 20th century, the longest single treatment in defense of the virgin birth. How many pages are you seeing there? Uh, looks like it's going to be just a hair over 400. 400! Yep, just a little over 400, including well, including notes. There we go. And that's that's in, like, old-time bookie font, which is... It's beautiful. It's not a picture book. So, so that book was written in 1930. A little bit of historical context. Eric, in a couple recent sermons, I've mentioned the fundamentalist modernist controversy... Right. And the virgin birth was a part of that. I'm not going to go back yeah, and yeah, talk yeah. talk about fundamentalist controversy and and in broad strokes, but one of the things contested in the church was whether or not Jesus was conceived virginally, 
uh, in in Mary. A couple years before that, there's something called the Auburn Affirmation, where the a group of pastors in the Northern Presbyterian Church signed off on a statement that said it's okay if you're a pa- to be a pastor in the Presbyterian Church if you don't believe in the iner- even even if you don't believe in five things: the inerrancy of the Scriptures, the doctrine of the atonement, the resurrection of Jesus, the authenticity of Christ's miracles, and the virgin birth. So this 1930 book, The Virgin Birth of Christ, was in part a response to a lot of Presbyterian ministers, and it wasn't just within Presbyterianism at the time in the early 20th century, saying, why do we have to believe this stuff anymore? And I thought you gave a, a very nice little defense of a pretty wacky doctrine. Sure. When we get right yeah. down to it. Yeah. Can I, can I say, too, at the risk of putting my foot in my mouth? that <laughs> I'm excited. It's usually me. If, if I didn't believe any of those five things, I just, I just don't think I'd be a pastor. I think I would have just stuck with engineering or something right. else. <laughs> but sure, surely the pay is not that great. <laughs> you yeah. would want to stick with pastoral ministry yeah, yeah, if yeah, you yeah. deny all of anyway. Yeah. Sorry. Christian teaching. All nope, right. that's true. Crotchy old man, Eric. Eric and I are, but yeah, the uh, so 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 we are not affirming the Auburn affirmation here. Uh, but you jumped into the virgin birth. What what did you want to get across, Eric, in this section? And I have two specific follow up points. Yeah, I, yeah. Again, I think the point of this section was pretty simple, hopefully clear. Um, but yeah, again, like trying to address and talk to people within our congregation that aren't Christians, which we yep. have some every week, people that listen online as well, mm-hmm. tune in online that are not followers of Jesus, um, people that are wrestling with faith, um, people that struggle with, yeah, some, some of those five things you just mentioned. For sure. Um, yeah, I want to address them, want to talk to them. You know, it's kind of one of those things, like I even mentioned, my wife um, was home with our girls on Sunday and uh, only caught snippets of the sermon on YouTube while the kids were running around. Right. So, um, so she actually listened to it this morning, and I just kind of and we were talking about it and before lunch today, and I said, "You just can't not address the elephant in the room." Yeah. When I keep saying the word "virgin birth," "virgin birth," like fifteen times, right? Like, you just kind of have to say, "Okay, hey, time out. What like, do we do with this? Let's talk about this for a second. Yeah. Like, let's not just gloss over it. I don't think that's not that you have to address it in the way I did in every single sermon yeah. on this passage, but." But it's something, like you mentioned, too, that we say every week in the Apostles' Creed, every too. Week. So Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so it felt important. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the main thing that I wanted to get across, um, you know, I, I didn't really try to give a defense of it, per se. That's true. Um, as much as I just wanted to say, I mean, I, d- I did in some ways. But I right. really just wanted to say, hey, if, if you want to diverge from this, and I didn't say this explicitly, but mm-hmm. this was kind of the takeaway, I think. If you want to diverge from this, okay. But at least realize that you're going against the explicit teaching of Scripture. Yeah. So there are ways to get around that and different hermeneutical ideas and so on and so forth. And sure. Doctrines of Scripture. Yep. That I don't adhere to. But you'd be going against the explicit teaching of Scripture, just the literal understanding of the text. You'd be going against church history for the most part, especially yep. early creeds and Reformation creeds and confessions. Right. And you'd be having to do some finagling around the atonement and how that works. Yeah. Um, which again, I guess the Auburn affirmation, that's kind of interesting you bring that up because they sort of, they inerrancy of scripture was there. Virgin birth was there and atonement was there. And they're they, all connected. Yeah. And so if you're going to keep pulling that thread domino, yeah. um, yeah. So I kind of just wanted to say, Hey, like there are, 
let's not let's not sh- I, I use the word let's not shrug this off mm-hmm. and say like ah that's kind of silly maybe scripture's wrong there like uh, if you, you yeah there's a thread to pull yeah so I, I kind of just wanted to make the point of hey no this actually is a really important doctrine it's not just a wacky antiquated like pre-modern goof that's just been in this book for 2000 years but it's something that we should take seriously even if it's difficult yeah even if it is mysterious even if it uh, to use like a theological word that's always fun to say, incomprehensible. Right. Yeah. Um, we believe it, even though we can't fully grasp it. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the main thing I wanted to get across, um, and hopefully, talk, you know, with folks in the room that might be wrestling with that, and not talk at them, um, because again, I do recognize that it's difficult. Like I have yeah. never met someone in person who says that they were born of a virgin. I've never met a woman who has said that she had a child. <laughs> You know, well, without in, having sex. In, so in, it's, it's in episode one of Star Wars, do you remember when Luke's mom was asked who's who's the or when Anakin's dad or mom was asked who's the father? Do you remember what Shmi Skywalker said? These are the movies you told everybody like two the, weeks ago not to watch, right? She, yeah, they're yeah. they're horrible. In part <laughs> for this line, Shmi Skywalker said, "There, there is no father." So George Lucas totally ripped off. The, virgin birth from the christian story anyway so right. so we've met anakin that's that's the other exception yeah so anyway so that was kind of the um yeah so that, that yeah i don't know if i have any more to say than that yeah happy to happy to engage with it more but that was kind of the, the hope was like i wanted to dress elf in the room yep. hopefully in a way that felt fair um and 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 again not trying to go into like a super deep deep dive of defending it per se but yep. just to try to lay lay out and say hey like let's let's not shrug this off like it's it's been affirmed um for for so long and 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 if you're going to deny it or think it's not a big deal like yeah there's some implications yeah yeah and and i would agree eric maybe a better word for what you did was an explanation and exploration of yeah. the virgin birth more than defense we're as a congregation at liberty callings we're, we're not the right i hope that we believe in a robust historic Christian orthodoxy, but we're also at the same time not a shut up and believe this. And I thought you explained it very well. A couple of follow-up things. Uh, one, uh, and we're going to do a little Eric L. Mitchell versus uh, N.T. Wright. So oh gosh. I don't know if Wright has ever, he, he's an Episcopalian bishop and scholar. I haven't seen it in his writing. He's written more than I have read by him. He sure. he possibly has written more than I've read. Period. But um, <laughs> the but I heard him say in in a talk that even though he believes the virgin birth to be true, this is a New, a New Testament scholar. He does not necessarily feel that the virgin birth is essential for our salvation. And that that caught my ear. I, I do think that N.T. Wright is a little flirty sometimes where where yeah. he enjoys like showing like secular Bible scholars like, hey, I don't just pull the company Christian line here. I can surprise you a little bit. So it felt a little flirty. He literally but... has a book called Surprise by Scripture. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you're also surprised by Wright sometimes. And, yeah. and yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so that surprised me. And, and I realize that I'm springing this question on you. So it's OK if you don't have a perfect answer. But yeah. but. You were addressing, I think, a little bit yeah. of what Wright said uh, in another context. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like the the third thing that I said about the virgin birth, mm-hmm. I, I think I did use the word essential. Yeah, um, I for don't, soteriology, I, I don't for think, doctrine of salvation. Yeah, I don't think N.T. Wright listens to my sermons, so I'm not super worried about it. But You don't know that. Uh, I don't. Um, 
Hi, Tom, if you're out there. We we do actually literally have one listen from the UK, like in the history of our podcast feed. That one time. So maybe it was your sermon for this past Sunday. Um, Hi, Tom. <laughs> the uh, Yeah, so... You know, a couple. Yeah, you, you just mentioned that he can be kind of flirty with things. I, I think that makes sense to me. Like, I did do some like research and writing and thinking about like new perspective on Paul when I was yeah. in college. Yep. Or seminary. I don't remember which, to be honest, at this point. Um, it all blurs together. But, um, yeah, he's pretty flirty with that stuff too. Yeah. Like his one book, Justification, he sort of explicitly dives in, but then you don't really anywhere else see him working out those implications he seems yeah. pretty orthodox and his ideas of atonement and justification right. otherwise yeah. so yeah. yeah i don't know i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna say that mary wasn't a virgin i i mean i guess you would have to come up with another way to think about jesus being having a fully human nature and a fully divine nature and where do you get it from otherwise i guess you could come up with something that wouldn't be that hard but yep or if you're going to deny those things again you're going to kind of go against most of the orthodox like creeds and confessions and right. catechisms of the church. Um, and maybe you just decide to emphasize another atonement theory like Christus Victor or something else right. instead of penal substitution, which tends to be the one that following the Presbyterian kind of Calvinistic tradition is the one that's yeah. it's the theory of atonement and the, the, the image of atonement that's put on top of the right. rest. But yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I don't have much of a better answer than that. I mean, I, I see how he could say that, I guess. Right. But he'd have to, um, yeah, he'd have to kind of like go a different route, I guess, than sort of a, a straightforward one. Yeah, and and, and for from my own part, I think we got those like five points of the Auburn affirmation. I could I could see how the virgin birth is not quite as essential, perhaps, sure, as sure, sure, sure. substitutionary atonement. As, as the inerrancy of scripture or something like that, the resurrection of of, of Christ. But right. then at the same time, my feeling is that it was a little bit of like what you can call an unfalsifiable argument where mm. like if he's saying like, you know, God didn't have to do it this way for for Jesus to sure. die for our sins, the answer to that is always, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah he, he, he could have done it. I mean, Jesus could have come from a horse. I mean, probably not, but I don't mean to be irreverent about that. <laughs> But um, like if if there had been a different plan of salvation from the God of the universe, right, that would have been revealed to us in the Scripture in the, in the same way, we would have been obligated to believe that story and 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 that history, and not another one. So yeah, it, it it's a little bit of like a sure. But anyway, right, I, right. I I do think we're on much safer ground, Eric, to go in the direction that 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 you did. My my other. Like to to offer another explanation idea that I wanted to bounce off of you, and then we could move on. Uh, at least in my mind, over the years with the virgin birth, there is an argument from implausibility, where, like, interesting, in the rest of the New Testament, and this this is contested. It's one of the things that Machen talks about in Virgin Birth of Christ. Uh, the virgin birth is not is not on an even reading, like explicitly mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament, um, besides. Mm. Uh, besides in the birth narratives of Jesus, and then later oblique references in the uh, gospel accounts them, themselves. Uh, but to me, that doesn't decrease the veracity of the virgin birth. Okay. Understanding that the gospels were written in large part with the letters of Paul uh, right, circulating, right, right. Um, they had nothing to gain by making it up with... Yeah. It, and, yeah. and in some ways... 
there's no reason to have made this up except if it were actually true and and happened this way because mm-hmm. even even 2000 years ago here here's a spoiler people knew where babies came from <laughs> back then <laughs> they 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 were wise to such things there were birds and bees back then yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah and 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 so the new the new testament or matthew and luke must have written the account of jesus birth knowing that the virgin birth would have stretched credibility yeah. and and even going back into the old testament it wasn't like super crystal clear that there was going to be a Messiah who came into the world by virgin birth. You have the Isaiah right. 7 passage, but that wasn't like a super right. clear messianic right. passage right. like some of these others. So, right. yeah, like why why would it have been right. so explicitly emphasized in these two birth accounts unless that it yeah. actually happened that way? So Yeah, and know. again, there are, in the Old Testament specifically, there are also other stories this is not like a logical argument for the virgin birth but there are other stories of miraculous births true you know you have sarah which i, I don't remember if you touched on that really in the genealogy part the i didn't and sarah, no but you have sarah who gave birth to a, got pregnant and gave birth to a baby at 90 when her husband was 100 right like, that's insane yeah you know and like our modern scientific understandings like she's well past menopause at that point um right and you have other stories um thinking of uh hannah right samuel's right um, yep mother yeah that was infertile and prayed and prayed and prayed and god gave her a baby um the prophet samuel um you know and even elizabeth and jesus's right. cousin in some ways is miraculous yep. itself so yep. there are other like stories of pregnancies that were divinely brought about mm-hmm. none of them contain a virgin but right. at the same time um there's an explicit understanding teaching from the God, from the writers of those books that God was very he intervened in those situations yeah. over and above simple biological processes in some way right or through even through biological processes to bring about a you know a pregnancy and, and ultimately a birth that he wanted to see happen yeah um, so in some ways and I, I actually had that in my notes and I skipped it in the moment um, to say something along these lines mm-hmm. but I mean it's so in some ways the virgin birth is just another miraculous birth story mm-hmm. though that the uniqueness of it the fact that mary was a virgin the fact right. that mary was young instead of old the yeah fact that mary i don't think was praying and asking to be pregnant mm-hmm. like some of the other ladies that i just mentioned um it's unique but um but the baby who was born in her who became you know, conceived in her womb was unique. Right. So in some ways it's just another story in a line. Yep. But then the uniqueness of it sort of points to the uniqueness of Jesus anyway. So I don't know. It, yeah. If, you, if you're going to accept those other things or other miracles, I don't think it's that far of a leap to yep. think that a virgin birth couldn't happen. Yeah. If, if somebody can be raised from the dead, if somebody's withered hand can be healed, if somebody who's blind can receive their sight by mud being rubbed in their eyes. Yep. Jesus's touch. So anyway, yeah. And my my last thing there would be simply to say this is not an embarrassment related to the Christian story, but it's part of the glory of it that this is a supernatural religion that we're a part of. We're right. not just right, speculating right. endlessly with our own ideas, but mm-hmm. God has intervened in a supernatural way repeatedly in history and climactically in Jesus. Good stuff. Do you have anything else about the virgin birth? <laughs> no, we can move on. But... Can, where do babies come from, Eric? Um let me let me give you an illustration. <laughs> okay, no, uh, just kidding. I will say one thing that I I didn't say in the in the sermon. This is jumping ahead a little bit, I guess, the guitar slim pickings. But 
uh-huh. um, because it would have been a, like a terrible quote, and I didn't want to say it without giving credit. Um, in the Tim, the Tim Keller sermon that I listened to, yeah, he and who and Tim Keller, if you've ever listened to many of his sermons, I know you have, Jim. I'm talking to the audience here. Um, <laughs> pastor in pastor New York. He uh, does not tell a lot of jokes, and 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 usually true. And usually his jokes are very, like delivered very like plainly. Yeah, uh, they're like, like NPR pretty, jokes. Yeah, and so it's not you don't even like hear chuckles in the room or anything. But in the but in the one that I the sermon that I listened to, he kind of like raised his voice as much as he ever does in a uh-huh. sermon and says, "Can you imagine what Joseph must have thought? Can you imagine that first conversation?" It looks like you had sex with somebody. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. And again, I couldn't say that without giving him credit, but it would have been a stupid quote. Yeah. So I yeah. skip that. But anyway, uh, sex is the answer to that, Jim, by the way. Thank you. We can talk more about what that and, means later. And in a nutshell, that's why we have this podcast. So we could go back to those other quotes and fit them in. So muddying the water, some some context around the, the sermon. Yeah, so I loved your introduction, Eric, where you – made the connection between the Lenten season being called a forced Lent. And COVID being called. COVID being called yeah, a forced yeah. Lent, right. Do you uh, remember who said that? I think it was Chris Curry. Was it Chris Curry? Yeah. Actually, that's who I thought it was, but yep. I, I, I couldn't remember specifically. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Our, our friend at Resurrection Philadelphia. And similarly for Advent, this yeah. is this is a – there's a COVID overlay where some of the – feelings and achings of the pandemic are mirrored in the season of Advent. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I don't know if I have a ton more to say there. I think um, Advent is one of those seasons. I grew up, which I mentioned on this podcast before, um, I grew up as a Baptist kid. Like, we mm-hmm. did not celebrate Advent. So no candles in the sanctuary during Advent, no mention of right. of the season of Advent. As far as I can recall, it was just Christmas, and Christmas was one day. It wasn't a season either, so... Uh, no explanation for the song 12 Days of Christmas and where that came from. Um, I have so many thoughts, but so, not worth going into. But um, no Lent either. But again, other 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 conversation for another day. Yep. But, um, yeah, so Advent to me is a season that I've come to enjoy over the years. It's still one that I feel like I'm fully leaning into and grasping, mm-hmm. um, especially because that season between Thanksgiving and Christmas is just bonkers. Yep. You know? Um, like after we finish this podcast and our staff meeting, I have a package I need to ship. Like there we I, go. I need to Tis the season. walk down the street and potentially purchase a Christmas gift uh, as well before I head back home since I'm in Collinswood. Um, so uh, it's such a crazy season with family obligations, like choir things and children's things, and not to mention sports and all the normal like crazy chaos. You know, mm-hmm. So it's such a nuts season that um, I, I think the – the liturgical season of Advent, how it should feel, what it is, what it means practically, like can be lost, even though, again, mm-hmm. like, we do devotionals every year. Right. We put some of those things out. We try to build in some things, but um, it's still one that can be lost. So anyway, I, I guess for me, I just it just struck me again with this passage, thinking about the concept of loneliness and isolation and that longing for relationship. It's just like, oh, like this is how, this is how God's ancient people felt, like waiting for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the feeling of Advent, which is not something I've really thought about, even though we'll talk about, you know, it's a season of hopeful waiting yep. you know, for the birth of Jesus or whatever. Yep. Um, but yeah, but that loneliness and isolation of exile waiting uh, for one to come and to restore relationship to set things right is, is, is the feeling of Advent and a feeling, again, that I think we felt a lot during COVID. I certainly did. So 
um, yeah, I don't think I have a, a lot more to say there, but it just kind of struck me as, as an interesting um, an interesting parallel. Yeah, I think that really connected. One one thing to, to ask from what you said, Eric, and for, for listeners, so this is the first time that I've actually had a conversation with Eric in months. We, we don't talk to each other. We just, you know, work, work in parallel with one another at church occasionally. No, that's not true. We spend a lot of time together. And it's one of the regular rhythms at Liberty Collingswood. Eric, you and I, we ask, how can we pray for you? And we spend some time praying for right. each other. Uh, one, one thing that caught my ear uh, was you mentioned lost relationships during pandemic. And, and I, I don't recall the two of us thinking about that. So feel, feel free to tell me more or take a, or just speak in general terms. Uh, what, where did that come from? Yeah. Um, yeah, this was a, um, there, yeah, there was a portion of, uh, my sermon process where I went back to, this is going to be pulling the, pulling the, uh, the curtain way back here. Here we go. But, um, Jim, you'll remember that a month-ish ago we did, we had a Liberty Network Pastors. I was wondering if that was connected to yeah, that. Yeah. A cohort gathering where we gathered at Liberty Church Fairmount. And um, yeah, there was maybe a dozen of us in the room and Steve Huber, the director of the Liberty Network, shared on the idea of friendship. And one of the questions that was in uh, in his lesson, it was really a discussion, not really like a talk per se, yeah. but was the idea of what, uh, uh, regarding friendship, is what, um, yeah, where have you had, where have you lost friendship? Um, or, or like, where are you mourning friendship right now? Whether from, uh, I forget the words he used. It was either it was it was either because of betrayal or because of maybe just moving. But that's not the word he used. It was yeah. another word. But people moving just, on one way or another. Yeah, people that have like left. You don't live in the same town anymore. Just distance. Yeah, or people leaving churches or yeah the, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So so it, family stuff. Yeah. So there was a part of. Um, there was a part of that where uh, at one point in my sermon process, there was not only the loneliness and isolation of exile, but like the whole idea of God hasn't abandoned us. I almost thought about putting some of that in there of yeah. feeling abandoned uh, relationally as well. I decided to cut it out because of time constraints and sure. as well. It just didn't fit. It started to, it as I was typing it, and even as I went back to it a couple times and tried to make it work, it felt like it was a little too tangential. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't make it work. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into the specifics of that in my own life, but I think that, uh, at least on a public podcast, Jim, we can talk more later, <laughs> obviously. But, um, but yeah, but I think in the last twenty-one months, there have been due to just the polarization culturally, politically. Um, that we all feel. I mean, I, there have been some relationships that have been hurt that um, do feel lost. Yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that I, I don't feel betrayed by anybody. That was the word that Steve used in his notes, but I wouldn't I wouldn't use that word. Right. But there is some loss. Yeah. Um, and that adds to loneliness and isolation, especially if you're already feeling that way. And then maybe some relationships that you have relied on um, disappear, even yeah. if they're still geographically nearby right um that's a different pain and a different a different feeling of loss so yeah so there was there's some of that in for me in the last 21 months um for sure not tons by any stretch but there is some and um yeah so i I threw that in there 
or I, or I left that in there, I should almost say, even mm-hmm. though I pulled it out of um, some other parts of like the introduction and conclusion. Yeah. 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 I appreciate you saying, Eric. I think in that same conversation, there was a pastor that said, and this was an older church plant, maybe they'd been around for 20 years, and he said that because of COVID, specifically the mask wars of 2021, uh, he had lost people that had been on his original launch team 20 years ago. Yeah, it's so Uh, wild. And so just just imagine, like— The ups and downs, the thick and thin of launch team to establishing a church. Two decades later, the straw, the bridge too far is, I don't know what side of the aisle they were on on it, but sure. one way sure, or sure, another, sure. Um, yeah. hey, I'm, I'm not going to be cajoled into doing one thing or another uh, with a face covering, uh, which is just bonkers. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's pastoral reality. I think the pastoral challenge uh, is... For me, and not just for pastors, I, I, there was an article that came across my one of my feeds yesterday about how people are dropping relationships more than they ever have before mm. for mental health reasons, um, and I and that's one of those like good things and not so good things. So it's yeah, tricky. The yeah, I think there is definitely valid instances where one friend will say to a friend or a family member will say to a family member, like, I can't be in this relationship because it causes too much stress, anxiety, trauma, et cetera. But if everybody does that all the time, then, you know, Merry Christmas. (laughs) It's just going to be it's just going to be you and the chestnuts roasting on the open fire and 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 nobody else. Have you have you and Emily watched the morning show on Apple Plus? No. Okay. The. I should I? It's good. Okay. Yeah, it is really good. Um, Kieran and I really like it, and um, that combined with Ted Lasso is going to cost us forty nine ninety nine in about <laughs> three days when our free trial subscription ends and we get charged for a year. Well, it'll keep Steve Jobs frozen um, a little bit longer. It's ridiculous. It's so annoying. <laughs> I hate getting like suckered in by those free promotions and actually biting. Um, but anyway, but yeah, I. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to spoil or anything. It is a new enough show, and this was in the the season that just ended. But yeah, one of the characters has, and it's it's a very it's a very good show. It's a drama mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it. Um, but she has a brother who who struggles with addiction, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and she 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 has a, a friend who is basically encouraging her like, hey, it's time to drop this guy. Like he's your he's your biological brother, but like. Yep. He's bad for you. He's bad for your life. You right. can't let him get in the way of your life. Yeah. And so she drives him like to a rehab clinic, and uh, like drops him off. Basically says, "I'm bye. Like I'm never gonna see you again." Wow. Um, and I, I won't. I won't go. I won't share anymore from there with like mm-hmm. what happens. Um, but yeah. But it's. But I remember watching that, and there's there were scenes in that specific show where it's like yeah I, that that yeah that seems right like you do need to draw boundaries and yeah needs to be some but then there's other scenes where it's like ah this is your brother like i don't know man right like this yeah. seems like a bridge too far but it, yeah it's in the name of like mental health and the mm-hmm. name of like personal progress and um that is it is a weird tricky thing yeah right i i think we're between consensuses about yeah where yeah where to navigate some of those things very good man bar band cover tunes you mentioned Let's do it Tim Tim Keller making the sexy jokes, which which everybody associates with Tim Keller, but there there he is again. Absolutely. The I also heard Stanley Hauerwasen. It was Cornelius planting it, right? Correct, Junior. Yep. Cool. Got anything on those guys or? 
Uh, no, not necessarily. Like I have Howard Wass's commentary on Matthew. Um, that was oh, where, nice. So that was where that came okay. from. It's not necessarily the best commentary in the world, but it's like a nice, like different perspective. Yeah. Um, not super exegetical, but more. Um, but he but he digs in and covers yeah. some stuff in different ways. Um, he's a retired Duke Divinity School guy. Um, so that was where that uh, quote came from. Uh, Plantinga, like that. It's from a, that's from a book. Um, and that was the quote about communion, about Advent and communion. Right, 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 right. Um, that's from a book uh, called A Place to Stand, which is uh, quite old. And it's a book on the RCA standards. Okay, so that was part of your ordination it studies. It was, and I actually only have a PDF version of it. I don't even have the actual book. Um, and it's like an There old, might be one in the book trader it's on like, Second, second and Chestnut. But second it's like an old PDF where you can't uh, like highlight like sentences so i was like drawing was... trying to draw red lines like using the pencil tool you were faxed to coffee it's super annoying <laughs> so that that book's kind of brutal to like go through because it's just so old it's just an old book and old pdf but hmm. um but it's a good little book um where he just gives some thoughts on rca standards and different things but that was where that quote came from and that was really striking to me and that it was because of that quote that like my whole conclusion about communion kind of came about i just thought that was really interesting um yeah, I don't really have anything more on those two guys specifically, but that's where those came from. Keller, yeah, came from that sermon um, that I listened to. Um, I think I missed the Rob Bell quote. I, I was writing something down. Were, were you quoting him positively or negatively? Or So I didn't actually quote the, him. Um, so his book, Velvet Elvis, right. I read as a senior in high school hmm. um, is when it came out. I told so, you Eric was a big Elvis fan. So, I, I know so little about Elvis. It's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, most of what I know about Elvis actually probably came from. Um, did you ever watch any of those ESPN uh, Peyton's places? No, uh, I haven't. Okay, so he did one on Elvis. Oh, so Elvis was like a huge NFL football fan and used to draw like offensive plays, like on napkins. So he has like really? a play. Elvis has like a playbook of like <laughs> plays, um, and he was a huge football guy. He liked to like play pickup football. Huh. I didn't know that. Anyway. Okay, that's pretty. That so I probably know more about Elvis from Peyton Manning. I have, uh, I have been schooled on Elvis else. by Eric. Look um, at this. Peyton's places. Es ESPN Plus. Just everybody subscribe to all the streaming things. Yeah. So gonna... And in in point of fact, <laughs> it is it is Eric's ESPN Plus login that I use. So thanks for that. Full circle. I don't know if you should share that on the internet. <laughs> um. Anyway, so. Uh. Yeah. So I, did, I didn't quote him, but I read that book in high school, and that was I think in one of the early chapters where he gives that. Uh, illustration of a trampoline and springs yep and the virgin birth is one of the specific doctrines that i remember that he used to talk about like you could pull this spring out yep um and maybe or maybe not put it back and, and the trampoline will still hold um, that's what it was yeah. yeah so it wasn't a direct quote um mm -hmm. it was just um recalling a book that i read a long time ago okay that i no longer own I like it. So we had Rob Bell, and then you quoted the Beatles at the beginning of the sermon. Well, I did not quote the Beatles at the beginning of the sermon. Yeah, it was a British person. It's a British guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, passenger. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if anyone out there has been over to my house and, like, had dinner with Carrie and I, and we've, like, gone out in the living room and just been, like, hanging out, like, post-dinner, like, mm -hmm. there's a good chance Passenger was on at some point. Oh, okay. So he's one of my, he's one of my favorite, just, like, super chill Singer songwriter, um, is that his name? Like Mr. Passenger? No, it's I said it in the Captain sermon. I Passenger. Forgot what his name. I always forget what his name was. Yeah, Michael David Rosenberg. Gotcha. Um, so there was a. He was part of a. I believe it was a duo. I don't even think it was a trio. I think it was a duo called Passenger. So it's the first Passenger album is him with another guy. It's like a band. Okay. But then like the other guy had like split, 
and he just kind of kept the stage name, even though it's like he's been solo for like 13 hours. Boss move. I like yeah. that. Well, that's my name. I'm just going to give it. So, <laughs> so he's, so he's, a, we're still Simon to Garfunkel. My yeah. is Garfunkel. <laughs> so he's a solo singer songwriter that goes by a band name, which is a little confusing. Um, I like that. But yeah, I just thought, um, yeah, he, and he's a very like, uh, if you listen to his music, um, yeah, he's very, yeah, he's kind of folksy singer songwriter, mm-hmm. like, you know, has a lot of like sad and melancholy type songs. He has yep. one song that's called, um, uh, riding to new york where it's like this ballad of of like a father like try, going to like see his son for one last time because gotcha. he has like cancer and stuff uh-huh. so he has a lot of these like sad kind of melancholy um songs in different ways and mm-hmm. so um yeah so when he dropped an album in pandemic you just sort of knew there was going to be some stuff on there that addressed like how he was feeling how people are feeling how people are processing emotionally yeah. so um yeah that venice canal is an interesting song um so just quoted a couple lines from it there uh just as a way to sort of sort of lean into the idea of isolation and loneliness especially because he too and he says this uh on like on the like if you go to his youtube channel like there's all the live streams that he did like Mm -hmm. during quarantine are still up and like he talks about um when he plays this song via live stream for the very first time that's how he kind of released it um to like his fans like on this i think he did it on sunday nights um and uh so he wrote he was like hey i you know i i wrote this like this past week and <laughs> recorded it in my house and like here it is you know preachers do that every week um that's true that's yeah that's yeah that's true Jim. come on yeah that's not that's not that you know, <laughs> that's that's not that impressive um but yeah so anyway i just thought that was kind of interesting it's just him like in the moment snapshot like man that's yeah. kind of how i feel like that's awesome um so that so i just kind of use that um as a way to sort of lean into the idea of of isolation and loneliness. Yeah. Though I probably could have picked any one of his albums and found a song. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but anyway. Okay. Passenger, you heard it here. So let's see, Eric, any guitar slim pickings? Anything else for us to uh, the only, to pick over? Yeah, any the, meat left on the bone like a Miles Sanders run? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I don't even want to get into the Eagles right now, dog. <laughs> Uh, actually, if we want to turn this into a two and a half hour podcast, we should talk, oh, there talk we go. about the Eagles. Like we could uh, yep. get there. Um, no, the only thing I was going to mention for guitar slim pickings was um, so I've mentioned on this uh, on this podcast before. Like my my two my two desires in my sermons is like, mm-hmm. do you remember what these are, Jim? Uh, true love. <laughs> that I want to like two two places that I want to try to quote from. I, I I could keep giving. Do you listen to what I reasons. say on this podcast at all? <laughs> I I do, but okay, I forget. I'm sorry. So, uh, two two things that I like to quote from in my sermons, and it's like a fun challenge in some ways. One yes. is the RCA standards. That's right. So, especially Belgic and Heidelberg. Yep. And then two is like any Nashville based like singer songwriter right. yeah. band. Yep. So, um, yeah. So I almost used uh, instead of Passenger and uh, and his song Venice Canals, I almost used uh, a Nashville based guy named Andrew Rip. Um, he he has a song called back to Brooklyn that came out like during quarantine or or just after Hmm. quarantine, maybe that summer as a single. And it's an interesting song that if I remember the story, right, he saw a Facebook post or an Instagram post of his sister-in-law who lives in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. But during that first wave of COVID, obviously New York city just got clobbered. Right. And so she, she, and I think her husband, I think she's married if I remember right. 
bailed and went to like a cabin like mm-hmm. in the Adirondacks or something but she had like a Facebook post or Instagram post about like I don't know when I'm ever, when I'm gonna see Brooklyn again, yeah right kind of a thing uh-huh and so he wrote a song and I, and I won't like read the lyrics I haven't pulled up here but um but yeah but but it's but it's a similar thing where it's you know yeah will I ever go back to Brooklyn will I ever get to say goodbye um and, and it's kind of an interesting song where he where he's using his sister-in-law's experience, but talking about this like longing and loneliness uh, of like this place and okay. missing like the relationships and the experiences of the city that he loves or a borough of a city that he yeah. loves. So anyways, I almost used that, um, which is a really great song uh, hmm. as well. And, and Andrew Rip is a good, good singer songwriter. Is that R Y P P E? Uh, Rip is just R I P P. Okay. Yep. The, uh, yep, yep, yep. No relation to Mark Rippon, the Washington football team quarterback of a long time ago, or or maybe so. Not that I know. The, just one rip. So that is Guitar Slim Pickens. And Eric, if you are good, we will round out into Howlin' Wolves. If you want some engagement with us over the electronic mail, feel free to write into postsundayblues at gmail.com. And this week, uh, we have an email from Pratham Segal. Hey, Post Sunday Blues. I was going through your website, and I personally see a lot of potential in your website and business. (laughs) (laughs) With your permission, I would like to send you an audit report with prices, showing you a few things to greatly improve these search results for you. These things are not difficult. My report will be very specific. It will show you exactly what needs to be done to move you up in the rankings dramatically. We can place your website on Google's first page. May I send you an audit report if interested? So, wait, what was his name again? Pratham Segal. Pratham, can I? Um, <laughs> Pratham, if you're out there listening, uh, our church name is a Latin word. If you Google the word liberty, we're already on the first page. <laughs> Take that, Pratham. <laughs> okay. As much as we love some search engine optimization, <laughs> phishing uh. emails. Well, I, I I just gave him the church credit card. So uh, by next week, Pratham, we want results. But if any of the rest of you would like to join Pratham as a howling wolf, go on and <laughs> write in. And also, uh, we haven't had a rating or review in a while on our iTunes. For those of you that are still on iTunes, go ahead, give us a five-star and a rating. Also, we are big in Germany. David Hasselhoff coming back. If you're one of our German listeners... Who are you? We'd like to know. Eric, anything else from you as we wrap up here? No, I think we're good, man. Let's uh, let's get on to some staff meeting and then I gotta go ship this package. Okay, Tim Keller, Birds and Bees. How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. Well, why don't you why don't you keep talking? Bang, bang, Maxwell Silva. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Check one, two. Check, check. Checking one, two, three.